Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. The show is a proud media partner for the 11th Annual Media Excellence Awards, which are produced by Access Entertainment in Los Angeles, California. The Media Excellence Awards are recognized as the most influential awards show, honoring innovation and leadership in all things mobile entertainment, lifestyle, and technology. For more information on how to submit to these awards, please visit MediaXAwards.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Samira Solomon. She's the CEO and founder at Solomon Solutions. Samira, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you're doing um, is actually really cool and, and quite fascinating to me. And we actually got to meet in person, um, you know, at uh, the Startup Expo in uh, Fort Lauderdale. And, and so I'm excited to have you on the show. So, so welcome. Thank you so much. I'm very excited to be here. And it was great meeting you, especially the, the Startup Expo. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, we had a we had a blast. So maybe before we get into all the fun stuff that you're working on, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. So um, I was raised in the Middle East and Europe. When I was born, my parents lived in Dubai. Okay. Very so cool. I was actually born in the U.S. Yeah, I was okay. born here in the U.S. in Louisiana, okay. Baton Rouge. Okay. But um, my mom lived overseas, and so my both my parents lived overseas. So my mom flew to America to have me, but then. I grew up, I lived a little bit in Saudi Arabia, in Turkey, in the United Arab Emirates, and I went to school overseas in Switzerland for high school. Okay, very cool. So you've been kind of all over. That's cool, though. Yeah, yeah, very cool. So you went to university a a few times and, and kind of all over. Walk me through your university career and what did you take and why? Sure, happy to do that. So um, I actually entered college with 37 credit hours so I entered as a second semester sophomore oh there's a lot of advanced placement classes in high school and um, I did some advanced testing so yeah so I started at LSU and I got a degree in international trade and finance and economics okay so a business degree and um, I graduated early from college so I worked in a law firm for about nine months before law school started interesting and when Law school started, I started at LSU. Okay. And I went to law school for three years, which is the standard time. And then when I graduated, I moved to Houston, Texas. Okay. Um, I wanted to be Richard Gere and Pretty Woman. I wanted to buy and sell companies. Okay. And um, at the time, Arthur Anderson in Houston had a very sophisticated tax structuring practice. And okay. so we were the group that structured a lot of the the transactions you might have been reading about in the newspaper. Sure. And so when I started my job at Anderson, I also be, began studying for my LLM, which is a master's of law okay. so after law school in taxation at the University of Houston, which um, is located, you know, where I was working. So I went to night school there. Got you. So, so was there yeah. like a defining moment that made you kind of want to go into law? Um, not really a defining moment, but I always had that, I mean, I love the law because it's a very cerebral experience and, and going to law school teaches you how to think and a way to think. Okay. And I always had a natural curiosity about me. I always wanted to know why, how things work, how things put together. And so, you know, the law is the basis for a lot of that, right? Sure, so, yeah. And I, I didn't necessarily anticipate that I was going to practice law for the rest of my life. I wanted, I was always interested in business. Sure. Um, but I knew the law would be a good foundation. Yeah, it's to never going to be terrible to, to understand the law, especially running your own company or even working in a company, right? Right. Right. Absolutely. So walk me through kind of your transition into founding your own company. Okay, sure. Happy to. So I practiced law for eight and a half years. I started in public accounting firm. So I worked at Arthur Anderson, Deloitte, and KPMG. Okay. I was in at Anderson. I was in the M and A tax structuring group. So our group structured, you know, a lot of the 
Enron and Dynegy and Coach USA bus roll-up, which at the time was the largest consolidated roll-up. So uh, we structured for T-Bean Pickens, the Texas Oil Billionaire. So we did a lot of structuring of deals. Um, when Anderson was no longer, I went over to Deloitte and Touche, and I did tax controversies there. Okay. So I litigated against the IRS defending positions that people and companies had taken on their tax returns. Okay. And then I went over to KPMG, and I was still, this whole time I was still a tax lawyer, but I started doing more oil and gas work at KPMG. So I worked for some of the energy companies, and I also helped with the oil and gas international centers of excellence. So it was a kind of marketing tool that the firm had. So, and then from there, I was recruited away to Shell Oil Company, and I was in-house at Shell Oil Company for three years. Uh, again, being a tax lawyer, and I was also at that time, I was the vice chair of the American Bar Association Energy and Environmental Taxes Committee. No, oh, very cool. Which means I wrote tax law with Congress. Yeah. Sure. That would have been, that would have been fascinating, actually. Yeah. It was, it was very interesting to understand what the process is and how it actually works, right? Sure, sure. Um, um, so, yeah. So... So I had a pretty, you know, significant career as a tax lawyer, but I always wanted more. And so I went on a kind of a personal development journey. I was still working at Shell at the time, but I, I took about, I would say about um, a year and a half. Okay. And I did a lot of self-exploration. I hired a lot of experts to help me to figure out what I really wanted to do. And I decided to open an advisory firm. So. I woke up one day and I, I quit Shell and I opened up an advisory firm. It's called Salmon Solution. And what we do now is we work at the intersection of private business okay. and private capital. So okay. most of our clients are either high net worth family offices who are investors and they want to invest into private businesses directly. Okay, interesting. And the other bucket of our clients are private companies who are looking for private investment. So if they're not necessarily a fit for a venture capital firm mm -hmm. and they're looking for a high net worth individual, a family office, a private wealth source, somebody that can kind of write them a check. Mm -hmm. So we work on both those sides. So we either work with the investor or the business owner or both. Okay, interesting. And then just kind of connect them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not just a connection service. I mean, we we have to really put the business together, right? Okay. So m most people come to us, they have a pitch deck, they sometimes have a financial model, gotcha. and they say, I need $10 million to grow my business. And what we do is every section of that. So we help with you know, the diligence on the deal. We okay. help flesh out areas of the business plan that may be missing things. We poke holes, we ask questions, we solve problems sometimes. We help fill out management teams, like if there are some roles that aren't filled and we need to find people for them. So from an investor perspective, we help on every aspect of private investment. So we help source, select, diligence, structure, grow, turn around, and exit the deals. And from the company perspective, depending on where they are, we help with all those things as well. So some of them... They have a, you know, they're, they're in a growth stage and they're ready to exit. Some of them are in a startup phase and they need capital or they need strategy. So um, not all our businesses need capital that we work with. Sometimes okay. the investor has put money into a business already and he wants us to help grow the business. Got you. And sometimes the business has money and they just need to know what direction to take it. I got you. Okay. No, that makes sense. So you guys are very much. So it's, it's sleeves rolled up. Sleeves rolled up. We get in there and we sit next to the management team. Got you. And we help grow these businesses. No, I. I Most I... of the time, which includes capital. Okay. Sure. Right. Okay. No, that's interesting. Yeah. So yeah. I, I guess like. Is there different verticals you try to stay in or does it not really matter? It's a very interesting question. So there are certain verticals that we have areas of expertise in. We have partners that we work in other verticals. But okay. we kind of assemble. I like to refer to them as dream teams. 
Okay. So we bring in industry experts. So of course you can't be an expert in every industry. Right. Um, and so, you know, where, where we have a lot of expertise is luxury and consumer goods. Okay. So skincare, hair care, cosmetics, um, fitness, lifestyle brands, food, juice, consumer goods, okay. um, books. Um, and we work with partners on, in the energy industry, in the real estate energy, in the healthcare and biotech industry. So, you know, we have alliances and collaborators that we work with to help us vet out whether it's the science or the engineering or the technical pieces of some of these deals. Okay, interesting. So, so then walk me through some of the strategies that you work with companies that are looking to kind of raise capital because I think a lot of people, and I would even probably put myself in this boat if I was trying to raise capital, like in, in a lot of cases, I don't even know where to start, right? Because it seems right. so daunting. Right. Yeah, it, it is a very daunting um, process. And I mean, I think that there's, there's two major components of raising capital, right? Mm -hmm. There's the knowledge of what you need to do. So educating yourself, and getting the right mindset. And then the second bucket is the actual tools you need. Okay. And the tools are you need a pitch, you need a pitch deck, you need a financial model, you need a data room, you need a business plan, you need a cap table. You know, there are certain products or tools or documents that you need. But before you even prepare any of those, you have to understand what you're doing and why you're doing it. Sure. And um, it, you know, it's something that I speak about a lot, and we're about to launch a video series on how to actually raise capital. It's basically, I mean, it's a very basic tutorial. Okay. And what I did was I had, um, I had we actually um, geared it towards women, but it's useful for anybody. But what I did was I had a couple of women who are, who are starting to raise capital write down all the things that they're super scared to ask anybody. And those are the questions we answered. Yeah, we answered the, the things that people are, you know, you kind of feel like, does everybody already know this? So I don't want to ask. But, I mean, it's one of those things where there's nowhere to really learn this, right? They don't right. teach you in school. And everybody kind of has a different way of looking at it. If you're trying to raise from a venture capital firm, that's one one set of circumstances and ways that you do things. If you're trying to raise from a private investor, that's another set of circumstances. So there's not really anywhere great, you know, one resource to go and learn. Um, there is a website that's called Investopedia, yeah. and it's kind of like Wikipedia for investment, and you can yeah. you can learn some things there. It's very general. They're they're actually like so, but, they're actually founded in the city I live in. They're like ten minutes from me. But, oh, that's cool. But yeah, just kind of a fun. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah, it's interesting. But keep going, sorry. <laughs> yeah. No, that's really cool. That's a fun fact. So um, basically they um, they have, you know, de you know, kind of like generalized descriptions of certain words and phrases and terms and that kind of thing. But, sure. you know, I think that part of this is you really have to get out there and talk to people and interview people and learn. Before I raised my first private dollar, okay. I'd interviewed a handful of private investors and I just asked them, I said, look, I want to learn how to do this okay. and I want you to teach me. So tell me, what do I need to know? How do I need to do it? What are the things that you want to see when somebody is asking you to write them a check? What are the things you dislike seeing? How can I improve my pitch deck? You know, and I mean, what you'll see is if you ask enough people, you're going to get, you know, different answers from each one, but you'll start to see some common themes and patterns. And that's what you really want to use to put, put together kind of like a strategy that works, right? Right. Yeah, that's interesting. But did you find that like you actually heard back from a lot of kind of um, investors to actually give you some of that stuff or, or have a lot of them kind of prepared almost like documents around like here's what we want to see if you're going to if you're willing to uh, pitch to us. So a lot of the venture capital firms have, um, and private equity firms. So some of the institutional players do have, um, documents and things on their website and that kind of stuff. But most of the individuals don't. Okay. Um, so you just really use your, your resources and your network. And if you know anybody that raised capital, say, you know, how did you raise it? Who did you raise it from? 
Mm-hmm. And you just really have to pound the pavement. I mean, the bottom line is, depending on what area of the country or the world you're in, you have to find out where the startup and innovation and entrepreneurship hubs are. Sure. And get to those places and start hanging out at their events, right? Okay. And that's where you start to meet the people. And, you know, there's no science to this process. It's kind of an art form, right? So sure. you have to commit to spending a lot of time getting to figure out who are the players in your area, how do those players operate? What do they like to see? Um, you can Google for investor, startup, entrepreneur events in your area, but you just have to keep going and meeting people and going and meeting people. And so, you know, what I always recommend is a combination of online and in person. Okay, interesting. Well, and I would assume that if you go to somebody and you ask for advice and they give you advice and you make that and you send your pitch deck or your your whole kind of package to them, they might eventually just connect you with somebody or maybe invest in you themselves, right? Because they can see that you're willing to learn and willing to try new things and kind of, you know, kind of keep this whole thing going and, and, and iterating and getting feedback. Is that kind of, in your experience, have you seen that happen? Absolutely. And I think that that you brought up a very important point that if you're going to ask somebody for some help and their time, then you want to be very respectful of that time. So the first thing is you want to be super prepared for the meeting and make sure that you've Googled and researched and asked around as much as you can. So you're not asking them questions that you could have found on the internet, right? Sure. About them. And then you also want to do them the honor of taking their advice and putting it to action. For me, that's one of the things I like the most as an investor is when I give somebody feedback on a pitch deck or a business process or a, a component of their business, and then I receive an email a couple of you know, weeks, months later that says, you know, Samira, we really appreciated your advice. Here are the changes we made. You know, here's evidence they're in action. You know, I gave a speech about getting funded similar to the one that, that you heard at Supex and sure. I, I gave a worksheet, a handout worksheet, and I received an email from a woman a couple of months later that she had kept my worksheet by her computer and she worked on it every day. And, you know, those kind of things That's make cool. me understand that that people are paying attention, right? Sure. I mean, the worst thing you can do is use an investor's time and then never communicate with them again, right? Sure. You always want to send a thank you note and you always want to send, like, a follow-up. Sure. So when you say thank you note, like – Email or do you like if somebody actually physically mails me like a thank you note? Well, I was born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, so I am a Southern woman. So okay. I love a handwritten thank you note. Okay. Um, I think it's a dying lost art. I'm sure. sure there are some people that are listening to this gasping right now. But, <laughs> um, I think it's a really lovely touch. Sure. It kind of depends on you and your personality. If that's authentic and genuine to you, then I would invite you to do it. Okay. Um, but you also want to think about who your investor is also. You know, I mean, if you think they would be offended by that, then, then don't. So do whatever feels right and natural. I mean, I usually do an email thank you note just because that's convenient and easy. Sure. Um, sometimes I'll do handwritten ones depending on where I am and, and if it, if it works with the schedule, but you have to do what feels right and authentic. I mean, don't manufacture it because people see through that. Yeah, that's actually really good advice because I think part of the problem with, I think, being either in a startup looking for money or trying to launch your first kind of company and trying to raise money is you hear so many different things and so many people try to be somebody that they're not. And I think it's such a hindrance to them and they don't realize it, right? Correct. Because if you don't show up authentically, it's not comfortable or natural. And if it's not comfortable or natural, it's awkward. And nobody wants to work with awkward. Yeah. Interesting. And I I think then, so what though advice do you give people that maybe are kind of naturally awkward and and really are scared to kind of (laughs) talk to people, right? Because pitching can be very scary for anyone, even if you've done it a million times. Sometimes, like, it can be really hard to do. So what advice do you give people that are maybe kind of just naturally awkward? Um, Again, you want to do what's authentic to you. So if it takes you a while to warm up to people Uh and to get comfortable, then don't try and pitch in the first or second meeting. 
So have a long lead time and build a relationship. Build a relationship that you're comfortable with. Okay. And then once you're comfortable with them, you're going to be more natural and feel more yourself. And then that's when it's time to start thinking about pitching. Okay. Yeah, no, that, that makes actually a lot of sense because I guess you end up becoming almost like friends with them, right? By the time you pitch, maybe not like right. you go for dinner and hang out, but like, you know, you're, you're at least starting to build some sort of friendship around kind of just knowing who you are instead of like, it's the first time you meet, you got 15 minutes go and there's like a panel of, of people, right. right? Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Right. 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 Because if remember when you take somebody's money, so you're pitching them for investment, that means you're going to take their money. You're going to kind of be stuck with them for a while. So you want to make sure you enjoy them. So if it takes you a while to warm up to people, then that's okay. Take the time to do that. So when you are selecting your investor, you're selecting the right type of investor for you. So what exactly, how do you find the right type of investor? Because I think that also can be really challenging. I agree. What I recommend doing is writing out like a perfect investor profile, right? Okay. And these should be demographic and psychographic data. So for instance, if you really want a female investor, right? I want a female investor. Okay. If you want somebody who's super hands off and they're not going to call you and they're going to give you the check and they're going to leave you alone and you just have to talk to them once a year and tell them where the business is, mm -hmm. then write that. If you want somebody who's calling you every week and they're going to be in your offices and they're going to help you and your team, then write that. If you want somebody that's very connected and they have relationships in, in your industry and they can help open doors and make phone calls, then awesome. So you really have to sit down and think about what you need and what type of person you need to be around. If you're the kind of person that doesn't do well, if somebody is very stern and yells a lot, then say, you know, I need a very kind hearted, kind natured investor, you know, gotcha. be very honest with yourself and very detailed because if it's not the right human, then it's not going to work for you. Sure. Even if you get capital, like it'll probably the relationship will kind of crumble. Right. Interesting. And that's the worst thing is when you have somebody's money and you don't like them anymore. <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. So walk me through then how if if I hire yourself and your company to actually like help me raise money. How does it work for me? Like, do I put you on kind of a retainer? Is it kind of a one-time fee? Does it really depend? Do I have to give you equity? How does it kind of work? That is a great question. So we have several different pricing models. Okay. Um, at the very low end, we have a one-time like survey model. So if you have a pitch deck and you've been out there and you have been having trouble raising capital. Okay. We have a short service that will look at your pitch deck. We'll have a couple of phone calls with you and we'll kind of write a diagnosis for what we think you need to do differently. Okay. That's a, a flat fee service. Gotcha. Um, then if you decide that you need a little bit more help than that, we do work on a retainer basis. Okay. We pay a monthly retainer at the beginning of the month. We do not count hours. So once you're a client, you're our client, right? Okay, sure. And so we have regularly scheduled phone calls and meetings. And then in between that, we have emails and texts. And if we need to have more calls, we do. But before we put you out in the marketplace, we take your business plan, your financial model, your pitch deck, and we kind of tear it all apart. We poke holes through it. We make it as strong, as cohesive, as coherent as possible. We really craft the story in a way that people can understand what the value is. And then we go out there into the marketplace. Most of the time, we're offered some equity in in the company and, and a longer time role. So like once the capital is raised, people invite us to be VP of investor relation or gotcha. advisory board or something like that um, because we're now vested in you and your and your business, right? Like right. We, we want to see you grow. We want to see you succeed. And we want to make sure that you're continuing to have the capital that's necessary and that your investors are properly communicated with. Um, but we negotiate each contract with each client and it, you know, it, it varies depending on where everybody is. I realize that most people's companies are like their children. So I don't, I don't usually request cap uh, equity up front. Okay. So we usually do a couple of months on a straight retainer basis. So you can really see the value that we add. It's very hard to describe it 
over the phone or sure. in a meeting or on a document, right? But after a month or two of working with us, you really understand what our specialties are and our areas of expertise. And so at that point, um, usually the client will say, look, we want to talk to you about being more involved on a long-term basis. What does that look like, right? Gotcha. And the majority of the heavy work, the heavy lifting is up front, and we get compensated for that with the retainers. Gotcha. So the model works well, you know, and I, I think everybody feels like it's a win-win because we get paid for the hard work, and then we're able to share in the success, and the client feels comfortable that we are going to work hard. I think there are some arrangements out there where equity is given too quickly and then the equity is given and the person the equity was given to doesn't do what they say they're going to do, right? Sure. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And the other thing, you brought up something that's interesting that I think a lot of people don't think about or don't put a, a lot of value in where I think it's almost like it's it's probably in the top handful of, of things is if I have an idea or I have a business that you've never heard of and you can literally take all my documentation, pitch deck, et cetera, and actually like poke holes in it and make it so somebody that hadn't heard of my business, you know, 60 days ago or 30 days ago and, and make it so you understand that means you could turn around and actually help me pitch it to other people and make it so they understand, right? Because I think part of the problem is, is like when you're so close to either your startup or your, your mm -hmm. business has been around for a while, you don't honestly know what resonates with other people and, and you can't sometimes accurately describe exactly what you're trying to do or are doing. Is, is that fair to say? That's very fair to say and it's actually 100% accurate because you don't have perspective on yourself. So it's like sure. you understand it, but do other people understand it? So that's really part of the value that we bring is a part of you know, fresh eyes, fresh ears, because as a lawyer, I have good communication skills. Right. But at the same time, I like to break things down in bite-sized pieces. I always say, you know, if you can explain the business to your grandma and your five-year-old child, then you're in, in good shape. A lot of the clients we work with are investors themselves who are looking for co-investors in their current investment. Ah, interesting. And so, and so they have pitch decks that are put together, and the pitch decks help you know, they put them together and they understand their business. But if an investor doesn't understand that sector or that industry, then we have to kind of take it up 50,000 feet and add some basic explanations in there and kind of walk them through it. So that's a lot of the value we add. It's the how do we communicate this opportunity to a variety of different audiences in a way that they're all going to receive the communication clearly. Got you. Okay. And then do you... Where kind of do you kind of focus or will you kind of do any of the stuff we're talking about today kind of nationwide? Oh, we have a global business. So we okay. have clients all over the world. Okay. Um, it depends where, you know, it depends where the clients are. Sure. I also, so I wear two different hats. I run the advisory firm, but I also sit on the investment side. So I'm the COO of a single family office. Okay. And, um, I sit on the finance committee of the Family Foundation, and through that group, a lot of our investments and okay. interests are global. Interesting. Thanks for listening to Building the Future. This show is heard by more than a million people monthly in over 15 markets worldwide, including Silicon Valley. Kevin Horick's guests are leading business owners, successful entrepreneurs, and merchandisers worldwide. Now, your brand has an opportunity to tap into this dedicated and active group of business people who are looking for places to invest and the right opportunities to support. Find out how you can get involved at buildingthefutureshow.com. Do you guys ever invest in some of the clients coming from the other side to you? Um, we, we invest in a variety of different areas, okay. but specifically in sustainable technology. So okay. that's our, um, through the family and, and the family related interests. So food tech, ag tech, water tech. So if there are clients in those areas, I absolutely share them with the family and, and, you know, we look at them collectively. Okay. Interesting. So dive a little bit deeper into that. Like how do you guys find companies to invest in? Because that's also got to be challenging. 
So um, a lot a lot of it is pounding the pavement. Really? It's your okay. relationship. Okay. So one of the reasons that I do so much in the startup entrepreneurial space, and I speak at a lot of conferences, and I teach at the law school, and I, you know, I try and stay engaged, is because it does give give us access to good deal flow. Interesting. But also okay. when you start to build a reputation, so the gentleman who's the CEO of the family office is the grandson of the founder, and um, he has a reputation now in the space as a sustainable technology investor. So people gotcha. send us deals because they know he's interested in that, but you have to kind of build up their reputation. Similar to me. I mean, people know that I help raise capital from private investors. So people send deals to me. Um, and you know, we have to kind of look through them and figure out what's, what's good and what's not good. But a lot of it is just your network. It's word of mouth and it's creating the environment to look at these things and, you know, give people feedback. I also work with a bunch of, I call them collaborators. Okay. And there are people who see a lot of good deal flow and they kind of distill it for me and send it to me. Gotcha. There's a gentleman who sends me a lot of cosmetic consumer goods. Um, uh, you know, he has some juice and some water companies and a skincare company and a um, body care company. And they came to him. They're friends of his. They're people that he knows through his industry, et cetera, et cetera. And he organizes their materials and packages everything and then sends it to me. And he says, you know, here are five that came to me that I think you would be interested in. So we work with people like that, too. But it is, I mean, it's an iterative process. It's a lot of work. You have to pound a lot of payments. Um, the gentleman that I work with in the family office, he flies 300,000 miles a year wow. all over the world looking at deals, looking wow. at companies, meeting management teams. Yeah. So it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but finding good deals is, um, you know, that's what we do. We have a process, and, and we do it, and that's why a lot of families want to work with us because we, we you know, help organize that piece for them. Sure. No, that that's, a, that's interesting. And I'm always kind of curious, right, because I, I think everybody thinks that, you know, investors just have tons of deals, and they're always kind of, you know, just in their inbox, and, and that might be the case, but – even if you got a hundred deals, like they might all be garbage, they might all be great, or somewhere in the middle, right? Correct. So, so you have no idea. But I, I think, <laughs> but I, but I think the fact that you guys actually spend the time to kind of find these things and kind of fly around and and do all these things is actually quite interesting. So, you mentioned something though throughout the show, and we've talked about this, and actually saw you speak um, a while ago. Um, what exactly though? do you like speaking about and kind of do a lot of speaking around it at different conferences? That's such a great question. Thank you for asking that. So there's, there's a couple of different buckets that I speak on. Okay. One of the buckets is the entrepreneurial space. So gotcha. anything about how to build and grow a business, how to raise capital for your business, how to exit your business, how to troubleshoot your business. So building and growing and funding businesses. Okay. I also speak a lot in the women's space. So anything okay. with women capital raising, women empowerment, you know, how to be a woman in the business world. Okay. And then I also speak a lot in the direct investment family office space. Okay. So I moderate panels very often on direct deals in the private investor world, and that's to an investor audience to teach them how to source deals, to find good deal flow, to select deals, to diligence to find co-investors, to troubleshoot, you know, so all the kind of things that we've been talking about, but from all the different perspectives of the different parties. And then the last bucket I talk about is, I call it kind of like professional development, but how to build your business, how to cultivate clients. And I, I do that a lot for law firms, accounting firms, financial advisory firms, um, anything in the professional services field. So banks and um, finance firms and, you know, law firms, those kind of things, um, teaching a lot on how to grow businesses, how to network, how to build, you know, an alliance of clients, those kind of things. Okay. And you guys kind of do coaching and, and training around a lot of this stuff too, right? We do. So that's the video series that we have coming out on gotcha. the, um, on raising capital the first one we're doing, it's a basic beginner series, so okay. it's a starter series, and then we're going to do more in-depth, really detailed on the pitch deck, the financial model, like what to put in there, what do investors look for, how to fix problems, how to solve for you know what we see in all these pitch decks that we receive that 
it's you know not really working for the for the entrepreneur. Um, so we're going to do a really detailed series, and the coaching is really part of what we do in the advisory work. So we work with the management teams or the family the family offices and their management teams sure. on helping them kind of figure out how do we position this correctly so it um, attracts the right co-investors, gets the right capital in it, and grows correctly. Interesting. No, and I, successfully. I, I think that's, yeah, that's, that's quite fascinating. So in, in kind of all the stuff that you do, what advice do you kind of give to people around kind of, you know, raising capital? Because I, I think it, it can be really challenging for, for people sometimes. I think the most important piece of advice is you need to be very prepared. This is okay. not a one-time activity. It's not a you're going to wake up today and decide to raise capital. It is a process. It takes a long time. It requires a ton of discipline. And you have to kind of buckle in and get ready for a long journey. And I think I think that's the, the biggest piece of advice I can give is don't underestimate the amount of time and effort it takes to properly raise capital. And if you set the right expectation at the beginning, then it should be an easy process for you, right? Okay, interesting. It's interesting that you say an easy process because I, I think, yeah, I, interesting. Okay, keep going. Sorry. Well, I mean, I'm just saying you have to set the expectation sure. that it's going to take a long time. <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fair. lot of work. Yeah, I, if you if you if you know it's going to take a long time and a lot of work, then you set the expectation correctly, and so you should it should be easy because you know every day you're going to have to wake up and work on this thing. Yeah. Okay. No, that makes sense. Yeah, because I think so many people think like I'm going to book, you know, like a handful of meetings and there's going to be a bidding war and I'm going to raise a ton of capital and everything's going to be fine. And then six months later, you haven't raised a nickel and you're wondering why, right? Like is it, that that's kind of been my experience right. with with people that I've talked to right. is like they think it's going to be this like magical thing that's going to happen overnight. So I, I'm glad that you kind of yep. said that. Yeah, it take, it's a ton of work. It's the same thing like if you have a home and you hire a contractor to do some work on your home. Okay. It is a known fact that the contractor is never going to finish on time. Like, do you know anybody sure. that remodeled a house sure. or sure. built a house that sure. was finished on time? But yet I see it all the time. I have friends that just went through this process and they're like, oh, he says he'll be finished in March. And in my head, I'm like, that really means September. You know? Yeah, okay, and interesting. So it's the same thing, right? You have to set the expectation. Like, I don't care if people tell you three months. I mean, clients all the time, can we do this in three months? No, we can't do it in three months. Of course, it's possible that we can do it in three months. And the first capital raise I did, I did do it in three months. But that's the exception, not the rule. Sure, it's like setting so expectations. It takes at least six to twelve. It set, takes at least six to twelve months to raise capital correctly. If you do it in a shorter time period, great. But set your expectation appropriately. Yeah. Okay. No, that's really good advice. Don't put yourself in a time crunch. Yeah, and don't don't put yourself in a time crunch, and don't force yourself to have to do it by a certain time period, because in that case, you may end up like taking capital from an investor that you don't really want to. So give yourself time, give yourself options, put yourself in the driver's seat of the process. Sure. That that makes sense. So is there at a point in a company, like if I'm up and running in a company, I'm a few years old, how, at what point should I start looking at raising capital? And are there specific reasons that I should think about raising capital? Right. Capital allows you to grow in a scalable way. Okay. So you should always have a financial model. And if your company is already in revenue, then you have actual of your revenue and your expenses that you can use to build your financial model. Okay. And you're going to project out based on what you actually did last year. What do you think you're going to do next year and the following year and the following year? And you use the financial model and your projections on growth to determine how much capital do you need to fund that growth. Okay. So let's say you want to expand your business internationally or you want to expand your product lines and you're going to figure out that it's going to cost X dollars and you're not going to make enough money to pay for that. Sure. So that's when you would start to raise capital. So 
I'm answering your question in two parts. No, I think it's good. Illustrating, illustrating the details first and then saying to you, the answer to that is you must always have a current updated financial model with your projections for how you want to grow your business, what your goals are, how much okay. it's going to cost to achieve those goals. And then if you literally aren't going to make enough capital, that's when you um, secure extra capital. And you need, you know, raising capital from investors is not the only way to get capital. Okay. So depending on if you have a cash flowing business, you could get a line of credit from the bank, which is awesome, right? Sure. Um, and just use that when you need to. If you have a cash flow issue, like let's say at the end of the year, you're going to have made enough money to pay for your company's growth and to fund it internally, but you have a timing issue. The money's not coming till September and you need it in May. So, sure. you know, so that's what I tell everybody is build a really great financial model know your numbers backwards and forwards, and then look at the different options to get that additional capital you need, understanding that if you have a good, strong, solid business, you may not need to raise equity-based capital, but you can, you could raise, you know, debt-based capital and get a loan or a line of credit or something like that from a bank or from an investor. An investor can give you a loan too. Interesting. Is that, is that quite common? It, from my experience, it seems like it, it's pretty common. Yeah. Yeah. But it is. A lot of investors give what's termed as convertible notes. Okay. And that gives them the option to convert the note into equity. Okay. So they give you the money and you agree to pay them back over a certain time period at a certain interest rate. Okay. Or they could say, no, you know what? We don't want you to pay us back. We'll just take a, a piece of equity in the business. Interesting. Okay. Very cool. So walk me through kind of some of the other um topics that you like to kind of cover in some of your speaking engagements because you brought up some really good kind of interesting points um when i saw you talk that I, that i think we should maybe kind of cover here because they they've got me really thinking and and i you know i i think they were really well received so do you maybe want to cover some of those quickly awesome well i'm i'm glad i mean a lot of what we discussed at at the cpex conference and it it's a speech that I give a lot is about, you know, the proper mindset to raise funding. So okay. it's not just about the tools and the paperwork and all that, but you really do have to believe that you are going to raise this funding and you have to feel convicted that you will, because it's, as we discussed earlier, I mean, it's a long arduous process and sure. it's not really, it's not really something that you can do overnight. So you have to be really prepared to kind of buckle in and, and, strap in and really, you know, get committed to that. Um, we talked a little bit already about the numbers. The numbers are extremely important. Sure. You want to make sure that you understand your financial model and your current and your actuals and your projections and all that kind of stuff. And if numbers aren't really your strong suit, then you need to take the time to learn that because that's really what investors are looking for. I don't want to write a check to a CEO that doesn't understand their numbers. That's kind of, you know, a challenge for me, right? Interesting. Makes sense. Um, yeah. Another thing is we talked a little bit about setting the right expectations and the preparation that's necessary. Like you have got to wake up every day and pretend like you're training for the Olympics, but what you're really doing is, you know, preparing for your capital raise. Sure. And you have to spend a lot of time cultivating relationships. Investors invest in people, people sure. they like and people they trust. So you want to cultivate those relationships. You may need to cultivate more of those relationships if you are shy or you're not really into networking or meeting strangers, right? It might take you a little bit longer. Sure. But once you build those relationships, you want to make sure that you're activating them correctly. Okay. Um, asking people to help you, asking them to give you advice, asking them to make introductions for you, asking them to review your pitch decks and your financial models. So, yeah, so, and then, you know, the last section of the speech that I gave at StuffX, it was called um, Hustle and Close. Okay. And part of that is you've got to keep your game face on. You have to realize that there are going to be obstacles. People are going to tell you things you don't want to hear. There are going to be people that tell you that you're going to fail and that your business sucks and this and that and the other, and it's up to you how you choose to respond and react to that. So we can't really control what others say or do, but we can control ourselves. So sure. we want to be mindful of um, 
always kind of picking ourselves up, dusting ourselves off, and getting back out in the game because, you know, that's really what it is is a game. And in my experience, the most successful entrepreneurs are the ones who are still standing, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's interesting you say that because, like, I've had some people on the show um, before that, you know, made hundreds of millions of dollars and, you know, they still fail all the time, right? And you always, I yeah. like, it took me the longest time to realize, like, what do you mean? Like, you have all this money, you should never fail at anything because you have all the money and resources and blah, blah, blah. But, like, they still fail all the time. And, like, failure to me has such a negative connotation, but, like, I don't see it as bad. I don't see it as negative, especially in, in kind of a startup game. Like, what's the worst case that happens? Like, if you have if you have something that you want to start up and you do it and it fails, you just go back and get another job or, or raise more money and try again. Like, why is that bad? You're right. And, I mean, for me, one thing I like is I like to invest in people that have had a failure because what does that tell me? That tells me they understand reality. Okay. That tells me that they know how to pick themselves up and start again. That told, tells me they know how to make mistakes and learn from their mistakes. Sure. Um, I don't ever like to invest in somebody that's had like a perfect life and a perfect world because then, you know, they don't really understand uh, certain realities of life, you know, and it's harder to convince them. So I think failure is a great thing. I think that what defines you as a human is not how you fail but what you do after you failed, right? If you sit there sure. and you wallow and you cry and, and you give up, then, then you know, that, that shows you don't really have perseverance or grit. But if you can pick yourself up, dust yourself off after a failure and, and keep trying again, that really shows me, I mean, it's that grit, it's that tenacity, it's that perseverance, it's that resilience. That's what makes a good entrepreneur. So more failures you have. I mean, of course you have to have some successes, but the more sure. failures you have, you know, the better I'm going to look at you as somebody that knows how to pivot and knows how to pick themselves up and knows how to keep on going in the face of obstacles and challenges. Sure. Well, and I, I think too, like failure doesn't always have to mean you like shut down a company and went bankrupt. It means you maybe had to like move into a new vertical to keep your company going. Like it doesn't have to be this like right. all doom and gloom, right? Like failures don't right. have to be this huge astronomical thing. They can be a lot kind of milder, I guess. Right, and that, well, they can also be opportunities, right? So if you fail in one area, it could be an opportunity to open up and do something different in a, in a different area, you know? Sure. Um, and a lot of times we wouldn't have never seen that opportunity had the failure not happened. Sure. No, I, I think that's actually really good advice. So we're kind of coming to the end of the show, but I really kind of want to maybe just quickly give people a quick recap of how you kind of help people kind of raise capital or, you know, kind of all the stuff that you guys kind of do. Sure, happy to do that. So if you're a business, we can help you with any aspect of growing your business, including raising capital. Okay. Right. So some sure. businesses want help with scale or operations or they want to change out management teams or they need a new distribution strategy or they need a new marketing strategy or business development. And some businesses also need capital. So I want to clarify that, you know, we also we work in both spaces. Right. And even if you don't need capital, we like to grow businesses. Right. Sure. From the investor side, we can help with any aspect of a private direct deal. So sourcing, selection, diligence, structure, growth, turnaround, and exit. We can also help with finding co-investors. So if you have investments in businesses or in funds and you're looking to grow them, we can help you find other similarly situated private investors, high net worth individuals and family offices who like to grow those businesses. Um, we do. We have a a pretty good global network. So we do. Um, when you're part of our team and our family and you're a client of ours, we do um, kind of curated dinners where we match make investors together so they can talk about different projects with each other. Interesting. Um, we also do. You know, we speak at different conferences and we put dinners around those things, and we help um, 
curate and bring specific types of deals and transactions to investors. So it's almost like an investor can place an order with us and say, you know, look, I really want, I'm looking for innovative biotech companies, sure. or I'm really interested in the oil and gas space and I want traditional onshore E&P, or, you know, I'm looking for cosmetic companies that are using probiotics. So, you know, whatever it is that, that an investor is interested in, we kind of put it into our database and, and keep it there. And then when we find something that is a match, you know, we'll contact them. So the services we offer are very curated. They're very bespoke. I mean, it's very relationship-based. Um, we want our clients to be happy, our investors to be happy. So um, we do use technology, but it's mainly on the back end to keep ourselves organized. And then most of our client interaction is, is human-facing. Very cool. And, and yeah, and it sounds like you're flying kind of around quite a bit yourself. Is that fair to say? Yes, it's absolutely fair to say. I keep a, a regularly robust speaking schedule. Sure. So I'm happy to do speaking engagements anywhere globally. I like to travel to lovely places. So sure. if you're hosting a conference or you're you're having a corporate retreat, like I've keynoted um, quite a few corporations, um, annual meetings and strategic retreats and those kind of things. Sure. Um, and so I usually plan my business travel around my speaking travel. So uh, okay. Very when cool. I go to certain areas, yeah. When I go to certain areas, I set up meetings in those areas with investors and companies and service providers. Very cool. And so we do work very closely with law firms, accounting firms, banks. Those are all kind of the, the team that helps us get our deals done. So we have really deep relationships in those spaces too. Very cool. Well, um, where can people get more information about all the stuff you talked about today, the video series, and anything else you want to mention? Perfect question. So the um, there's an email address. It's info, I-N-F-O, at salmonsolutions.com. So it's S-A-L-M-A-N, solutions with an S, dot com. And if you shoot an email there and just say, you know, what you want more information on, we're very happy to send it out to you. Um, the video series will be housed in a, a separate um, structure. And so I don't know exactly what that website is yet. But we will get that to you, and um, we have brochures that explain all our different services. And if you're just if you're an investor and you're interested in meeting other investors, you know you can just tell me that, and we're happy to put you on our invitation list. And if you're a company looking for keynote speakers or um, training sessions or workshops or mastermind groups or any of that, I'm happy to dialogue with you about that as well. So we just have a general info inbox. Perfect. No, I, that's that's great. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you, and have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much, Kevin. I really enjoyed it. I appreciate you having this interview with me. And, yes, we'll definitely keep in touch. Sounds great. Thanks again. We'll talk soon. Okay. okay. Bye. All right. Talk soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. Sign up for our newsletter or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.